0: never cried a day in my life and now i cry every day when i think of the good things of god and says if you confess your sin i'm faithful and i'm able to forgive your sin cleanse you from all unrighteousness and he did it in that moment and it was it was radical
1: Welcome to this week's edition of First Person. I'm Wayne Shepherd, and my guest today is Andrew Palau to tell his story of coming to faith. First Person is here each week at this time, bringing you the stories of people whose lives have been transformed by Jesus Christ. You'll find us on the web at FirstPersonInterview.com. There's more information there and links to today's guest, as well as an archive of past programs and a schedule of upcoming guests, all at FirstPersonInterview.com. Plus, you can reach us via Facebook at Facebook.com slash FirstPersonInterview. Andrew Palau is the son of Luis and Pat Palau. Luis, of course, is the evangelist who's preached the gospel in dozens of nations, But Andrew's spiritual journey didn't lead him to Christ until he was a young adult. He has now told his story in the book, The Secret Life of a Fool. I talked with Andrew recently on the phone, and we started by talking about the present.
0: Well, we're very blessed at the moment. It's a great season for our family. You know, my dad, Luis Palau, and my mom, Pat Palau, have their health, and they're ministering uh, 100 miles an hour. Dad's going 100 percent, and... There are so many open doors for his ministry and evangelism around the world, and uh, I've been in that ministry really uh, practically ever since I came to know the Lord for about the last 18 or 19 years. And um, So he's doing that, and in the last five years or so, I have also become another evangelist at the Palau team, which is new, and we're working all that through, and it's just great. So many open doors. And so Dad and I work together uh, often, for instance, in Sacramento coming up, it's a Luis Palau Festival, but I'll share my testimony. I'll be in seven prisons in the area and doing other affinity outreach events. We'll be in Paraguay in a couple of weeks. Um, we'll be in Paraguay together, and uh, he'll do a festival in Asuncion, and I'll have mine in Ciudad del Este, the second city. And So it's a great season, but then I'll do my own, and he'll do his own. I'll mm-hmm. be in uh, Africa and Tanzania coming up in Dar es Salaam and so th- there 's many open doors, my wife, Wendy, and I are thrilled at the call of God to um be serving this way it 's sort of a uh, <laughs> it seems like a joke, you know in a lot of ways it's just yeah,
1: anyone who knew me, you in your twenties must right. be just shaking their heads,
0: huh? yeah, I get together with my frat buddies, and it 's kind of funny, you know they it 's laughable and we and uh they call me preacher, and you know it's just it's just hysterical, but it is just what God wants to do, right He loves to take. Uh, the foolish things of this world to confound the wise and um, to show himself strong, right? Mm. And in that case, I'll do it. You know, if it was in my strength or because of my gifts, I'd say, well, this is truly a joke. But when you realize it's, it's all him and that he's actually showing himself strong through it, then you say, okay, in that case, that makes sense.
1: Well, you've written so honestly in your book, The Secret Life of a Fool. Did you ever feel out of place in a family that exhibited such a public faith?
0: Yes, I mean, uh, it, it's. I felt bad, you know, I, I felt guilty at times because I knew my parents, I loved my parents, they were so great to me, faithful, generous, practiced what they preached, and I, every once in a while I think I felt bad to say, oh, what did they do to deserve this? You know, it's not going to change me that I feel bad for them, but, but I certainly don't fit in, and like, to be so far away from the things of the Lord, um, and to be so rebellious in my spirit... Um it, it was sad, uh, but it didn't change me that that sort of sense of guilt on that level alone didn't really change me. But um, I do remember uh, recognizing how much it did break their hearts. But amazingly, to see their testimony so strong in that it was dumbfounding to me how they could be so full of joy. You know, the joy of the Lord is their strength and was their strength and, you know, my, what was happening in my life didn't destroy them and kill their joy. And I think that was something powerful um, that I observed along the way. Maybe sort of a, a background impression, but as I look back, I realize that's, that's strong.
1: Paul talks about being transferred to a kingdom of light, from the kingdom mm-hmm. of darkness to a kingdom of light. That transfer took place for you, but tell me the story. I, I want people to see the contrast in your yeah. life. Uh, talk about your, your teens and your early 20s, Andrew. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, in some ways, sadly, it's, it's all American boy type stuff. All American boy used to mean many, many, many years ago, uh, more wholesome things. But in this day and age, you know, it really relates to, uh, partying, alcohol, marijuana, all the relationships that go along with that lifestyle is so common in this day and age. And I just kind of went that direction. The world would have said, Hey, he's fine. You know, he's, graduated from college, and he's working his way up the corporate ladder eventually, you know, but but it all really began uh, just through just an endless series of bad decisions. It seems like every decision I made was bad. I was always looking for the easy way out. My mom described me as always taking the path of least resistance, you know, and um, very indisciplined, and I kind of had an ability to just kind of work my way through and do fine at school and stay out of prison for the most part and, you know, avoid uh, bigger troubles um, for the world standards. But, you know, all those things that kind of start for fun and you feel like you get away with it because you're a little smarter than everybody else or whatever uh, you're thinking in your your foolish mind, you know, it does in the end, it does sneak up on you, it captures you and traps you and you, you become you know, a slave to sin. And everyone who sins is a slave to sin. So it's no surprise. The other verse I think of is in Isaiah, right, where it says, uh, the truth is that all of us like sheep have gone astray, each one to their own way. So the real question is not who went astray and who didn't. All of us like sheep have gone astray. The question is, which way have you gone, you know? And so the way I went was just full of those more overt, outward sort of sad, shocking humanly unfortunate realities, you know?
1: I'm sure we have people listening who love a prodigal, someone who's turned their back, at least for a season, on the Lord. Yeah. Uh, tell them, your folks never forced you to faith, and not that you can force someone into faith, right. but they never, they never forced your hand, did they?
0: Right. No, I mean, I think no matter how much you would sort of preach against that, when you're faced with it, it's all you want to do. You just want it to be in your control, right? I mean, I have two boys, and uh, 14, 13, and a little girl, and I have lots of friends, and you sort of figure, like, well, I told them the truth, and it's so obvious and so real, and it's changed me, and what is wrong? Why aren't they getting it? You want to sort of say, okay, now I'll just step in and get involved, and I'll I'll force the matter, especially with your children, because you have this sort of authority of them on the one level. But, you know, spiritually, of course, Dad had a message, and, you know, common theme in evangelistic messages, God has no grandchildren, right, because we see what Christ said to Nicodemus, you know, you must be born again. And uh, that reality, then dad and mom had to live it out in their own lives with me.
1: Did they create opportunities for you to be in the right place and talking to the right people though?
0: Well, absolutely, endlessly. And um, naturally because they, uh, we were in such a great situation with dad and his work and the greatest people we met in the world. We we're on the mission field and we had missionaries at our house and dad would preach at you know, Bible camps that were really great, great places surrounded by wonderful people. But I would always find my little niche, you know, you could always find the little partying scene in amongst it all. And um, a lot of my uh, friends' parents would tell my mom or dad, you know, like, well, we just got to get him away from this friend or that friend. And my mom was a little more realistic and she'd say, well, forget about those guys, get them away from Andrew, because <laughs> Andrew is a bad influence and you know her her realism was helpful. I that think. sounds you know, pretty
1: she, no nonsense. <laughs> yeah,
0: definitely no nonsense and just honest. You know, looking at scripture and believing it. And uh, you know, she would say, "If it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck and has feathers like a duck, it's a duck." And there, there's the duck. You know, I mean, the, uh, no, no uh, pun intended at my attending the University of Oregon, fighting ducks. But <laughs> she would uh, say, you know, my some of my friend's parents would say, Oh, the boys are fine, they're good boys, they're just kinda doing their thing. They're sowing their wild oats. They're fine. They're good boys. And my mom would be like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Andrew is not a good boy. He's a nice boy. I love him. And he he's doing well in school and he's got lots of friends. But but uh the path that he's on is dangerous and destructive and is gonna lead to death if we believe what we've seen in the world and in scripture and I, I think that was helpful because it might have sounded kind of maybe harsh, uh, but it, it helped to keep things in proper perspective that, um, that there really was a problem. And um, she didn't put that up in my face. I mean, what my mom and dad primary, did primarily was just love me and live life as normal people. And uh, they, they tried to live that testimony out that when God says, I offer you life and life in abundance, And then my parents tell me, hey, God offers you life and life in abundance. Well, then they had to live it out to say, we said it was true, and this is how it's true. And, um, you know, by the world standards, that doesn't always make sense. But over time, and especially once I started to realize my foundation was crumbling, I built this foundation for life and all these things, and um, along the way, there were a lot of thrills in that and there's this sin it has its fun in the season but in the end it leads to death and when you start to face the final end result of it and you look back at your parents and then it's like wow they're they're standing on rock solid foundation they're full of peace and joy and they're the one you know uh thing in my life that is um constant and uh and joyful then then that's that lifeline that's available to you
1: We'll continue this conversation with Andrew Palau. His new book is titled The Secret Life of a Fool. Next time on First Person, you'll meet a husband and wife who've learned lessons about living as a blended family. With each of them bringing children from a previous marriage into their marriage, Craig and Gina Morgan have a heart to help other families. Who disciplines whose children? And how do you succeed living in harmony as a blended family? These concerns and more will be discussed with a couple who have gone through it, Craig and Gina Morgan, when you join us next time here for First Person. Today on First Person, my guest is Andrew Palau, whose new book is The Secret Life of a Fool. It's his own life story. and. Pleased to have Andrew on the line with me in between uh, evangelistic assignments around the world. Sounds like you're pretty busy, Andrew. But I want to ask you, at the height of your rebellion, was it rebellion or was it just pleasure-seeking? Did you you believe there was a God who loved you or did you turn your back on
0: him entirely? I I mean, I think it would be, you know, quite a bit of both. I mean, my my primary driver was just thrill-seeking, selfish, self-centeredness, nothing really much more than that. And I wouldn't have directly, I was a little fearful. Maybe I was a God-fearer, right? I, I didn't want to, like, reject God. And, I mean, in a drunken argument about faith, I would sometimes stand up for God. And, I mean, it's just embarrassing. But but I was in rebellion against God in that... Um, You know, uh, I just turned my back on him. I rejected his ways. I knew about the cross. I mean, it's almost a worse kind of rebellion in a way that you would almost have to say, I kind of think that's probably true, but I love my sin too much. You know, at least if you're angry and you hate God and you've rejected him outright, you've made a stand and you're going in a certain direction. That's a one kind of rebellion. My kind of rebellion maybe uh, is a little more difficult to pin down and identify and address. Uh, it's, It's more awkward because you're really challenging someone that their way of life is not sound and they're standing in your face arguing, you know, that that you're fine and that mask is kind of uh, frustrating to deal with.
1: As I read your book, I was so touched by the very tender letter that your father sent you. I think you were living in in England or Europe somewhere at the, right. At the time. And right. Your, your dad sent you a letter. Tell me about that letter.
0: Yes, it was one of a good number of letters. Dad, it was just one of those efforts, you know, one of the many efforts You know, dad and mom never shoved their religion down my throat. I never thought of it that way or felt that way, but they were definitely clear, you know, about the rules of the house and those other things, but on the spiritual level, that was different, you know. Uh, And and they were very clear about what mattered to them, what they believed in, and the one thing that they really believed in was the good news, the gospel, as the power of God unto salvation. And when they looked at my life, they knew, you know, nothing less is going to do. Some new discipline or some breakthrough in my willingness to be obedient to them all those things are really nice but they're not going to change my my core and my spirit and my being and so uh they would share with me the good news and when dad was uh able to get his hands on me when i was younger especially he'd take me for walks and we'd go for the walk and i was like oh no not the walk right i don't want to go for the walk it's gonna be awkward and i know it's coming and sure enough you know he'd just say son we love you but uh you're you know you're doing well and all the rest but 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 this direction you're going as a father who loves you I have to warn you that it will have fun in its season but it'll end in death and how I wish I'd have listened so he wrote uh one of the real drivers of wanting to write this book is to get this letter into people's hands to encourage them and uh to never give up and to think of ways to share the gospel um and also to actually have the gospel in a letter for those who need to hear the gospel because it's so wonderfully put. But um, that was just something I was really desiring to get out into people's hands. And in it, he, you know, he talks to me just as he normally did and always did. We had a relationship, that this lifeline that he kept moving forward throughout it all. And so there's a little conversation of our plans of trying to get together, and the, but then he turns it to just say, you know, son, there's something I've been meaning to ask you. I wanted to ask you when we were face-to-face, but I didn't have the chance, and it's this. Have you ever given your heart to Jesus Christ? You know this is uh, critical. It's what we believe, and um, I've never been sure. And if, if if I could help you, nothing would make me more glad in life than to help my own son, to make a determination about these spiritual things and this is what God says and he just goes right through a simple gospel presentation you 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 it's just what he speaks to 10,000 or 100,000 people he shares sure. it with his own son and you know that again over time that 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 is powerful to say what is it that these guys believe in well it's it's right here and, and um I rejected it over and over. He's written 60 books or something. I swear he wrote half of them. Just have something fresh to put in my hand, you know, Um, and he never and he never gave up. And um, I'm so grateful.
1: Well, that may have been before email. I don't know, but uh, I'm impressed that it wasn't a text message. It wasn't an email. It wasn't a phone call. It was it was a letter. I'm guessing you still have the letter.
0: I've got the letter handwritten. I wanted to have it printed in the book so that you could see his scratchy handwriting and say, wow, look at that. It was handwritten on lined notebook paper. And even at the start of it, he said, you know, I wanted to write, sometimes he would dictate a letter and um, our our good friend here at the office, dad's secretary would, would, would send it to me. And I knew it was like, you know, it wasn't super personal. It was just a, a, a desire to stay connected, but this one was personal. And he even said, Hey, this is not something you write. I just wanted to personally ask you this. So that's, that uh, that that's powerful.
1: Well, what was the turning point for you, Andrew? Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I think there are so many ways in which the Holy Spirit of God goes before us and prepares our hearts and, and orchestrates circumstances and is constantly calling out to us, you know, come, follow me, follow me. He calls to us. And if we're listening, I think at any point of the way, the possibility stands there for us to turn and face him and receive the gifts and the benefits that he offers and, um, and to begin to walk that life, not an easy life, a challenging life for sure. We hear all about that, but, but life in abundance, it's there for us if we'll just listen. So I think the turning point really was a combination of things happening. You know, my parents, uh, prayers were effective and their, uh, relational endeavors proved to be fruitful in that, um, when my dad called me, I was 27, living in Boston. It, it was February 1993, freezing cold and snow two feet deep, and Dad just called me, and he, he had a plan, and he was uh, inviting me to a festival in Kingston, Jamaica. Yeah, so there's had the to hook be God's right will, sure. You know what I mean? <laughs> I could see the handwriting on the wall, red-stripe beer and sunshine and the beach. Yeah. And I know how to handle this Christian thing, and, you know, my parents are great. I'd love to be with them. But, you know... Uh, I can't say that I would have looked at my circumstances, even as dire as they were truly, you know, spiritually. In human circumstances, I don't think anyone would have looked and said, oh yeah, this is the time, because this guy, mm-hmm. he's at rock bottom. I mean, I was at it. I was bumping along rock bottom for years, spiritually, internally. You know, the shame and the guilt of all of the activities in my life, undealt with. Those things are just pressing Um uh, you know, they just press down upon you and they, and they bear, uh, bear down on you. And, but um, on
1: the surface you were looking okay, huh?
0: Yeah, I think fine, you know, as much as I could, uh, uh, assess it, I had that mask on, but they just called me and gave it another shot. And, um, when I, there were some things that were happening in the previous couple of years that were very, very awful, you know, again, kind of standard human life experiences. If you're going that direction and, um, you know the Bible calls all those things right acts that lead to death, and Dad had warned me. And then it just began to prove itself true—just death in relationship, um, death in hope, and in, in uh, experience in life, and all the ways in which I just was feeling that, and uh, very directly. So that was down under the surface, and then when I went out to Jamaica, you know, I met some young people, and the Lord just orchestrated this beautiful situation where there was a little revival going on in the midst of this group of young people that I met when I went out to the festival, and um, people sort of outside of my parents' ability to orchestrate it, but the Lord brought them in, and I... Just respected them, and I could see. Wow, well, these people are just like me. But there's something that's happened, and they're talking about it. And they talk to Jesus like He's alive. And these people are crazy, but and they were talking about you know being healed from their addictions and restored in relationships. And there's this joy that's evident in their face, the excitement of life. And I was like, wow, I, I, I could go for this. If this, you know why I hadn't seen it before. Or, It hadn't captured my attention. Again, I think it's like, you know, you make your decisions for the Lord, but it's the grace of God, right? Yep, and it's the
1: Spirit of God that calls you at the moment.
0: Yeah, the Holy Spirit of God bringing that work of conviction of sin and righteousness. Like, here's righteousness— I've, it's been around me, but all of a sudden I, I, I became attuned to that and desired it. And I began to call out to God, you know, the beautiful passage. And for anyone who's listening, that might be in this situation the promise of God, you can hold true for yourself. Not one of his good promises has ever failed. God says about his promises. One of them is that if you seek me, you will find me. If you seek me with your whole heart. And, um, in that moment, I was very sincere, and I just said to God, if you're real, I want to know. And he, he began to reveal himself, and I wrote the book. There's some you know, nuances that are very interesting, and uh, you may resonate with them, but the bottom line ultimately was that God did reveal himself to me. What was keeping me from him? You know, I wanted to know, like, how come this works for all these people and not for me? And I, I just said, what's keeping me from you, Lord? And it's like he said, aha, you really want to know <laughs> what's keeping me? And I said, yes, what is it? And he opened my eyes in this one sort of miraculous moment. I was asking for like a miracle, you know, I got to this point where you sort of say, God, if you just do this one more thing, or if you just rescue me rescue me out of this situation, then I'll believe you and follow you. You know, you hear all those stories. But for me it was just saying, What's keeping me from you? And and he, he opened my eyes to see what was keeping me from him. And it was just all of that garbage of my life. You know, the guilt is like a the guilt is like a gift of God to remind you that there is a problem and that that there is a penalty and, and that that you need to deal with it. But w- this was a little different. When he opened my eyes to see it, it was like, seeing it the way he sees it, it was just horrifying. I mean, I was just devastated. It was so awful, and I was just broken. I fell. I was like on my face, you know, crying. I was like, I never cried a day in my life, and now I cry every day when I think of the good things of God. and. I just, I just was saying, please forgive me, I'm so sorry, I don't want to see that, please take it away, I'm so ashamed of myself, and you know, you can guess what he does, exactly what he promises, right? He says, if you confess your sin, I'm faithful and I'm able to forgive your sin, cleanse you from all unrighteousness, and he did it in that moment, and it was, it was radical.
1: What a story. Andrew's full story is told in his new book, The Secret Life of a Fool, published by Worthy, also available as an audiobook from our friends at Oasis Audio. If you'd like to follow the links to The Secret Life of a Fool and Andrew's ministry along with his father, Luis, please visit our website, firstpersoninterview.com. Today's program, as well as all previous First Person Interviews, are archived for you to listen to anytime it's convenient. You'll find the complete list of programs when you click the Listen button at FirstPersonInterview.com. And to leave a comment regarding today's program, please visit our Facebook page, Facebook.com slash FirstPersonInterview. There are also additional updates you'll find online at Facebook.com slash FirstPersonInterview. Next week, we'll meet a husband and wife who have learned lessons from living as a blended family. We'll meet Craig and Gina Morgan next week. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. We'll see you next week at this time for First Person.